Everything about this moment in history seems uniquely designed to challenge our mental health. We are suffering, we need answers, and we need help. That's why I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound to host their new podcast series, Going There. I'm Dr. Mike Friedman, clinical psychologist and life coach. With Going There, I will talk with musicians who struggle with their mental health, just like us. After all, mental illness affects us all. And the same artists who have stepped up to share their wonderful work with us are now sharing the intimate details of their journey in living with mental illness. We are going to ask the tough questions, and we're going to have the difficult conversations, all so that we can learn from each other. But more importantly, to shine a light on the difficult topic of mental illness so that we can all come out of the darkness and get the care we need. So we hope you join us on this journey. Going there, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we are back with our second episode on the topic of <gasps> killer kids. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> but for Christmas. And so we need like some, I don't know, sleigh yeah, bells. We'll just have like a sleigh bell, like choo 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 choo. Right. And then, like, a sleigh bell. I know. I'm the first person to make that joke. Can you believe it? I've never heard it ever. And I love it. Um, so we talked a lot about different types of diagnoses kids showing signs of psychopathy might have in our episode on We Need to Talk About Kevin, which was the first one in the series. We needed to talk about it. And that was my last time to ever do that. So I'm <laughs> just savoring You had it. to get it out of your system. <laughs> I really did. I know I couldn't. I couldn't not. Um, but we also talked about the experience of parenting a psychotic kid. So make sure you check out that episode. You don't have to listen to them in order or anything. Just know there's more information on the topic available there. And today we are watching another movie about a killer kid. One that, spoiler alert, really fucks me up. We are watching Better Watch Out. And you know ooh, what? Ooh, you ooh. better watch out now that's you what better. i'm gonna do i'm gonna do that instead <laughs> better of not the, cry uh, of the, yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's the season for puns mm -hmm. i think you know uh uh hold on hold on wait wait yule log fires trees fuck no i don't have any puns i'm sorry okay <laughs> hey, we'll like, get there like yeah my you'll be so tired of puns <laughs> by the time this you'll be so yeah, that's good yeah. there we go yeah yeah the <laughs> puns you. will 
feel like logs. <laughs> Fiery logs. <laughs> Sorry, that one didn't Is work. Is that a log in your pocket? A Yule log in your pocket? Okay, I, that's not even or a Or are you just, just happy to see me? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. We're serious. This is a serious podcast. Very serious. Very serious serious topic. (laughs) That's true. Anyways, so before we dig in, uh, we're going to give a brief synopsis of the movies. And I want to give a huge spoiler warning here because this movie has a big twist and we are about to spoil it. So proceed with caution or better watch out for spoilers. (laughs) Cannot stress enough. If you have not watched this movie, go to Shudder. Yeah. Watch the movie because the twist is awesome. Yeah, it is. And we are going to spoil the fuck out of it right now. It's a very, so. I imagine, a very different experience watching it knowing nothing and then and mm-hmm. kind of knowing know. what the twist is. No. To be honest, I kept Laurel wanting to text you and ask if you'd watched it yet and what you thought <laughs> of the twist. Because <laughs> you were the one of the three that hadn't seen yes. it before we decided well, to do it. I'm yeah. about to tell you in great detail. <laughs> you, ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, here we go. We begin with a snowman getting smashed in the head by a smarmy little kid. You butt fucker! (laughs) Sorry. That's the classic kid quote, you butt fucker. Mm -hmm. Hashtag snowman shadowing. (laughs) Tween BFFs Luke and Garrett are talking in their bedroom about Luke's plan to put the moves on his babysitter Ashley by watching a scary movie because... You know what? We're just not going to say what he says because it's super gross. Hashtag gross shadowing. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Ashley, Luke's babysitter, arrives. And after being hit on by Luke's dad, played by Patrick Warburton, and graced with the presence of the magnificent Virginia Madsen, playing Luke's mother, we found out that she's leaving for Pittsburgh in a few days. Tonight is Luke's last chance to make his move. And make his move he does. Whew, Luke flirts, mm-hmm. he shit-talks Ashley's boyfriends, and even tries to kiss her. Every advance is denied, and she makes it clear that he's being inappropriate. Because, mm-hmm. what, he's like 12 or 13? 15. At, I think he's 15. I think he, I think says, he, he's said, he says he's going to be 13. He's about to be turning 13. Um, okay. but, but he's then, a tiny little shit, is Yeah, what he's he is. a weaselly, yeah. and then Ashley is what, like... 16, 17, it's so, so yeah. 18. And she's eight. Yeah, it's, I'm just, I'm yeah. setting the stage. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ashley is getting strange phone calls on the landline. Doors are opening mysteriously, and a terrifying Screamy Claws decoration seems to move around the yard at will. Ashley and Luke run from a shotgun toting intruder who turns out to be Garrett. Turns out the entire home invasion was part of Luke's plan to seduce his age inappropriate crush. Ashley is furious, and as she goes to call Luke's parents, he hits her, knocking her down the stairs. She awakens, duct-taped to a chair, while Garrett and Luke dick around and clean up fake home invasion paraphernalia. So we're mid-twist here, folks. Mm Mid-twist. Turns out that Luke is a full-blown junior high school psycho. He assaults and demeans Ashley while forcing her to play a game of truth or dare. We learn during this time that his plan is to assault and then roofie her, making it look like she raided the liquor supply while Luke slept. But as Luke tries to force her to drink, Ashley smashes the bottle, wasting Luke's entire supply. Things become complicated when Ashley's boyfriend Ricky shows up. Despite Ricky's size, Garrett has a very real shotgun, and Luke bullies him into using it. Ricky ends up held captive, along with Ashley. In one of the most disturbing scenes Jen has ever seen, 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm editorializing a little bit here. <laughs> Luke, quote unquote, home alone's Ricky by smashing his head with a paint can. Uh, this is a running theme, and it's it is an internet argument that I've gotten sucked into before. So I was trying not to laugh at this personally. <laughs> it's horrifying and extremely upsetting to both Ashley and Garrett. Though Garrett is not upset enough to, you know, actually do something about it. I... He has the fucking gun. Uh, right. Yes. I just want to point out how Laura made an emphasis say this is something disturbing that Jen has seen. But Laura <laughs> right. and Mike, we have seen some real shit. All right. Look, so I've uh, I've been on Rotten.com in the year nineteen ninety eight. Yes. I've seen oh. it all, baby. <laughs> this been, one. I got been... thoughts on this scene. We'll get into it. <laughs> yes. Luke invites Ashley's dipshit ex, Jeremy, over as well, and convinces him in a drawn-out scene to write a suicide note before hanging him from a tree in the backyard, effectively framing him for the murder. Meanwhile, Ashley convinces Garrett to let her go. But upon seeing this, Luke is enraged and guns down Garrett with a shotgun. Guns down Garrett with a shotgun. That's a tongue twister. (laughs) It's a Christmas tongue twister! (laughs) It's a Christmas... Yay! (laughs) Uh, He then stabs Ashley in the neck, seemingly murdering her. Now we pivot to a holiday Ferris Bueller montage as Luke cleans up and puts the finishing touches on his cover-up before tucking <laughs> himself into bed. Aw, little Aww. scamp. Oh, yeah. Chicka-chicka. Chicka-chicka. Ho, ho. Chicka-chicka. Those were supposed to be little jingle balls. The reindeers? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that All was right. fun. That was fun. So, um, that was fun. I had fun. <laughs> <laughs> after his appar- oh my, after his parents arrive home, the police discover that Ashley is still alive, having covered her wound with duct tape. She gives Luke the finger as she's wheeled into the back of an ambulance. As the bottom drops out of Luke's master plan, he innocently asks to go to the hospital to check on Ashley. <laughs> that's Luke. Uh, that's Luke. And then yep. it ends with like it freeze frames and he shrugs and it says that's Luke and it, it goes into a big like uh, the, mm-hmm. the Warner Brothers circle, the Looney Tunes thing. Right. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. It was a really weird tonal shift at the end there, but otherwise. And right. then Luke, he, he does his best Bugs Bunny in the camera. I'm a bad He's like, boy. Ain't, ain't I a stinker? Right. <laughs> what if the last section was like claymation or something? It was like, ah. Wonderful. And then it's like, then there's another cut and he's just in a cell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just staring at the wall. Okay. Like a sad little claymation cell. <laughs> The la- all those final things did not happen. It's just That's the, true. Yes, that was more like... editorializing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Whew. So now let's do a feelings check. <laughs> this is when we share our first experience watching this movie and unpack how it makes us feel when we watch it. And I have so many feelings about this movie. Um, but Mike, let's start with you. So I I first saw this movie. I had the pleasure of hosting a secret screening of it Ooh. at uh, Telluride Horror back in 2015, uh, back when it was called Safe Neighborhood. Um, we landed three big movies that year, all of which were secret screenings. Uh, Raw was the mm. other. But this was one of our closing films alongside uh, Autopsy of Jane Doe. Which is one of my favorites. I, I was going to say, those are three very awesome movies to have back Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is was fantastic and i remember like i hadn't seen the movie before hosting it but basically he was told like it's home alone but it's a horror movie and that's pretty much a really apt description and i just remember alternately like 
laughing my head off and being like filled with rage mm-hmm. at Luke throughout mm-hmm. this this movie. I find it to be a lot of fun. It's really twisted. The pivot it takes 30 minutes into the movie genuinely caught me by surprise. And that doesn't happen. And I love the way the stakes keep escalating mm-hmm. just a little bit at a time. And that ending when like Ashley like gives Luke the middle finger. You know, I, that was such a catharsis, like, let out your breath moment. Because mm-hmm. I remember for the last, like, five minutes of the movie, I'm like, this little fucker's going to get away with mm-hmm. it. Uh, and being, like, filled with anger at that point. So I grew up just, like, a few years too young for John Hughes movies to kind of, like, resonate with me. Like, his heyday was the mid-'80s, and I would have been, like, elementary school at that point. But I would still watch them at that age because they were always on cable. Um and I would think at the time, like, oh, this must be what, like, being a teenager is like. Like, this must be, like, an accurate portrayal of life for kids like this. Um, and I wrote down, like, a line from, like, a Bouncing Soul song called, uh, the song is called Kid. And it's directly lifted from the Breakfast Club. And it's called, Is It True We Get Old, Our Hearts mm-hmm. Die? I heard it in a movie once, and I think that's, I think that I know why. And I recall, like, hearing that song and... For a long time, looking back on John Hughes movies with this wave of nostalgia about what I thought those movies were about and what they were teaching us. Now I watch them and it's it's impossible not to cringe at 16 uh-huh. Candles and the way it stereotypes Long Duck Dong. Like, it's very mm-hmm. offensive. Um, <laughs> like It feels yeah. very yeah. much intentionally like this. Yeah. We had one thing we came here to do and that's what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Also, not to mention um, the whole nerd gets the drunk girlfriend for the night thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you have that. You have like Ducky and Pretty and Pink, who's like basically this self entitled. Like he's Luke, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's really like a precursor to Luke. And people were so in love with like that character. And John Hughes was so in love with him. And it was like he should have gotten the girl at the end that he did like some kind of wonderful as a follow up just to change the ending. Of that, of of basically Pretty in Pink. You have, like, Allison in The Breakfast Club, played by Ali Sheedy, who the lesson you learn is, like, don't be yourself and don't be an individual. Just get a makeover mm-hmm. and fit in, and everything's going to be okay. But, in like, really specific to this movie, I remember there was a, a point in my adult life where Ferris Bueller went from being this kind of hero to, oh, my God, Ferris Bueller's a fucking sociopath. <laughs> He is the worst kind of person. He's just this narcissist who gives fuck all for anyone about him or who he hurts. Mm -hmm. And you see that here with Luke. So this movie is very much like if Ferris Bueller had a child, this is who Ferris Bueller would would give birth to. It's kind of like American Psycho is commentating on the like, heroic like American capitalist banker type, Mm -hmm. you know, archetype. And this is commenting on the like, teen rebel doesn't give a fuck like does what he wants like kind of archetype and they're both similar uh, similarly biting satires yeah Mm -hmm. like what happens when the movie's not rated pg or pg-13 you know yeah and and ferris bueller's not meant to be like you're never when you watch that movie growing up i don't think you're meant to do anything but like completely root for ferris Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like he's supposed to be everyone sees him as the hero and then you go back and watch it and you're like what an en- entitled little shitbag this person <laughs> yes, is right yeah. now. So yeah, so I love this movie. Um, I can't kind of wait to kind of dive into it a little bit. It's a lot of fun. 
and it's a great watch. It's a really fun holiday watch. Absolutely. Yeah. What did you think, Laura? So this was a first time watch for me, and I I completely agree with everything you just said, and about especially how it's a clever subversion of those expectations and character types on every level. It's somehow I think the tone is really interesting because, like Jen mentioned, it is actually a very disturbing movie, but it has this this Mm -hmm. sort of fun tone that keeps it from feeling like an oppressive watch. Um, To me, it simultaneously is evoking like the spirit of John Hughes and then real life cases. Like I just started thinking of all these horrible things I've read about, you know, cause I've, I've just filled mm-hmm. my brain with so much poison over the years. And like, it really made me think of this one real life case of the, which I will not go into, which is the Junko Furata murder, Furuta murder in 1980s Japan. Um, it's just too disturbing to describe, but it was basically a murder of a young woman by uh, 14 boys. Uh, mm-hmm. And, I think because of that, this movie could have easily, you know, the subject matter that it's treading in, it could have easily felt really humorless and dour, more like a goodnight mommy, um, mm-hmm. which is another movie that jumped to mind while I was watching this. But mm-hmm. the holiday setting, the like self-aware dialogue and what I thought were some really genuinely funny performances keep it from, again, feeling too oppressive. Uh, it is still extremely disturbing, especially in the quieter moments, like when Luke feels Ashley up during Truth or Dare. There's, there's certain moments where it's like it gets really real. Um, but I think that it really is down to like Levi Miller being able to navigate those shifts in tone really, really well. And mm-hmm. he, he is at moments like genuinely hilarious and at moments absolutely blood curdling and horrifying to watch, and mm-hmm. which, makes him, which makes it a very compelling performance to watch. I do also want to say I knew the basic idea of what was going to happen because, I mean, I figured since we were covering this for killer kids, like one Mm -hmm. of the kids on screen was probably going to turn out to Mm -hmm. be a killer kid. And since like the first, you know, act of the movie is going along this home invasion trajectory, I thought, oh, he's going to, it's all, he's going to be doing this to prank the babysitter. So I am kind of curious how I would have reacted to it and felt if I'd known nothing going in. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that did take some of the like tension out of it for me, but I still found it so enjoyable and fucked up in a way that I could still enjoy watching (laughs) yay good I was I was wondering if you would like it um as I've said many times this movie really fucks me up this is I think a lot of it is me specific stuff too because for the record I think it's great I think when I can separate myself from it I think it's really fun but I like what it's saying too I think it's like the commentary I find really engaging and not enjoyable, but really like spot on and effective. Um, I first saw this a couple of years ago and I heard about it when it was safe neighborhood and then kind of sought it out and was not expecting the paint scene. And when that happened, I was like, Oh shit, like that really. And I'll talk about why that messes with me so much, but this is this movie. I really, I kind of orchestrated this whole month because I really have been wanting to talk about this movie for so long because I, it really bothered me. But and I just wanted to kind of try to figure out why. And I think when I was watching it yesterday, I started to kind of piece together some of the the reasons that it really bothers me. There is a big trigger in this for me, and it's one that I don't name, so I'm not going to talk about it. But that's one of the things that really kind of is a disturbing part of it. And the paint scene, the paint scene, like I don't think it's actually what happens with the paint thing, because I have seen stuff that's worse than that. Like I've seen. Well, another movie I don't want to name because I hate it. But, um, like, I've seen really disturbing stuff. But I think what bothers me so much about the paint scene is that 
it's like the third try that is what hits him. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. he he knows this is coming. And then when they put the blindfold on him, he still knows it's coming. He knows he can't dodge it. And I think that's what it is that really affects me. And I think it's seeing all of the reactions of everybody around me. And so when that happened, it just turned on a dime. And I was like, holy shit, I'm in another area of like enjoying this movie. You know, I don't know if I said that right, but it it just... Yeah, and I think it's like the yellow paint and the red blood. It's like it's really I, gross. It's it really mm-hmm. is. I hate the scene, but it's so effective. Well, and the fact that you don't see the aftermath. Too. I think right. that's worse. Like you don't cut. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I found I think it, I I thought that that moment was really well crafted because it is this huge tonal shift. It goes from being this like thing that. Because I don't know if you have had those like stupid internet conversations like would this in Home Alone actually kill them? Mm-hmm. Like what would kill them? I've definitely had that conversation with friends. So it takes it from that tone into the oh fuck like we just smashed this guy's head in. And that it's it's this that's the kind of total shift I'm talking about in the movie that happens in these little moments that mm-hmm. I think is actually really well executed because it gets you all like do 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 do. I'm having a fun time with this movie. Yeah. And then it's like oh fuck you. I'm going to take <laughs> take you out at the knees. Apparently it's mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse's the voice of the, the film uh, but yeah. I mean I think it, I would buy it for this film you know? <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, I I think that scene is fantastic and it is so effective and that's part of why I don't like it like I was watching it yesterday and I ha- I started to get sick to my stomach because I knew it was coming mm-hmm. and I actually I tried to leave the room and then I was like no 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 and then I ran 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 over and I just fast forwarded through it and because I just was like I can't I can't do this again. Um, I've seen it once. And I, I say this like I'm not that squeamish with other stuff. I think this is just a particular thing. Yeah, there's the- always something that sets. I mean, I, I've had random things set me off. This wasn't one of them, but I've definitely had that before where I was like, I think in, in what we, we need to talk about Kevin when he was biting his nails and putting mm-hmm. his nails on there. For some reason, that moment made me more sick to my stomach than anything I can remember watching recently. And it was so simple, mm-hmm. but it was like, you know, so who the fuck knows? We all have our own little you know, right. things that push our buttons. So, well, and I think the thing when I was watching it yesterday, I think the thing that really stood out to me of why it makes me so uncomfortable is um, there's such an element of captivity throughout this movie. And there's, there's a really strong, like, incel sexual assault kind of vibe that just like is pervasive and I think that just makes me really uncomfortable and I think just having to watch her sit through all of these terrible things and be like humiliated and demeaned and like attacked and assaulted and just it really got to me now I love that this movie is doing that because I think it is making important points about those things and I think it's doing that showing like kids think or like this preteen little dipshit who thinks we'll get into it but I like that the movie is doing this. It's just a movie that I don't I don't know if I'm going to go back and watch this for a while because it was just it was just hard, you know. It's totally fair. You can appreciate but not enjoy. Right. Yeah. And I'm excited to talk about it because I think like it's one that I want to like tackle and like kind of conquer, you know. There's also the juxtaposition. This is I, I think I've talked a little bit about this. Sometimes Christmas horror is hard for me because it's like the, there's the juxtaposition between the really, really disturbing and the joyful happy. And I think that works in mm-hmm. this movie's favor 
for just about everyone in the world but me. And it just <laughs> is a little bit hard for me, I think, because of the disturbing tips the scale a little more. So all that to say, I think this is a fantastic movie. It is just maybe not a fantastic movie for Jen. So, <laughs> yeah. Totally um, fair. Right. Yeah. So now let's talk about our mental health topic, killer kids. And I'm excited because I think if we're looking at Kevin and Luke, like, same topic, completely different, but a lot of overlap. Right. And so I'm really excited to kind of dig into this. And Mike, I think we're right. going to talk a little bit about treatment today too, right? A little bit more, you know, like an overview of it. You know, last episode, we talked a lot about what conduct disorder is, what oppositional defiant disorder is, a little bit about uh, callous, unemotional traits. So we'll talk more about like the difficulty in treating kids with conduct disorder especially if they have like a subset uh, of what's called callous unemotional or cu because it's and i'm going to go a little bit into my own experience and i will let listeners know right up front like this is not an area of expertise for me unless you want to talk about failure <laughs> um because i have when i was interning i had a pair of kids that would fall under this category and um it remains probably the most frustrating experience that i've had in counseling and to the point where because i worked as a school counselor with children all day and have a few other kids on my caseload after like i let go of the second patient i actually went to my boss and said i'll take new clients but no kids for mm. a while um, it wasn't the only factor, but it was like really the predominant one. And I've kind of stuck mm -hmm. to that to the point where they've offered me like kids. I'm like, nope, like, um, you know, kind of I'm good mm -hmm. right now. So the, there's a lot of difficulty. We talked a little bit about what is callous and emotional in the last episode. Just quick review. It basically comes down to like a youth that has like a complete lack of remorse in their behaviors a lack of guilt. They're unapologetic for what they do. They show little, if any, empathy for others. And there's really another thing is like there's a lack of concern about, you know, their performance in in areas like school or in the community or things that they're expected to, if not perform well in, to at least give like a good, honest effort in. They really don't show any sort of regard for that. The big thing that sticks out for for cu is going to be like really that lack of empathy oppositional defiance disorder and conduct disorder they're already pretty difficult to treat but there have been some studies that have shown uh, effectiveness with like a three-pronged approach and it includes parent training and parent interventions school contingencies that are put in place because so much of the kids time is spent in school working with like the counseling department and the school psychologist to put contingencies in place. If there's like maladaptive behavior in school, there's a clear directive of how you're going to approach that and what the consequences will be. And then working with the um, child themselves, like uh, some cognitive behavioral therapy linked to trying to kind of retrain the person to maybe feel some empathy that can be pretty helpful. There was an article, um, Title The Relevance of Callous Unemotional Traits to Working with Youths with Conduct Problems. It was published in Communique, uh, Communique which is a newsletter for school psychologists. 
They looked at some studies, they examined all the traits, and they looked at different treatment options, and that's the one they talked most about for kids with CD or ODD. But in the same article, they talked about how kids with conduct disorder, but also callous unemotional traits, that particular treatment doesn't quite have the same efficacy overall. It doesn't quite give you the same results that you would Mm. hope for few reasons for that is stated through the studies. Number one, punishments don't really work for these Mm. kids. And we talked a little bit about this and we did. We need to talk about Kevin. There's nothing that you can take away from them that they care about enough that they worry, that they really Mm. care for. There's also nothing that they really care about enough as a reward because the bad behavior itself and getting that reaction, like that is the big reward. So rewards tend to not be as large of a motivator. They also tend to escalate negative behavior when they're punished. They're like, Mm. okay, if you're going to take this away from me, then I'm going to do the next thing. If you give me another punishment, I'm going to do the next thing. And it just becomes this escalation. Mm -hmm. Mm. Also, because it's so hard to build rapport with these children, because they just either don't trust or don't like others, the biggest thing about therapy and i think anyone that's had a therapist work with a therapist can say it's not so much the method of treatment that is always the thing it's that relationship that the counselor and the patient build Mm -hmm. together because there has to be that trust there um and if you can't build rapport it's going to be really hard for any sort of treatment to work well i would say that Um, as a teacher also like i've known you know like because that's i think part of the teacher's job is to kind of teach kids how to be kids with other kids at school Mm -hmm. you know and I have had students that were kind of like that and it's like you you I can't take anything else away you know I I'm at the end Mm -hmm. of this and I can't try to like build this emotional connection with this kid and it's just it's so frustrating you know yeah and it's hard you've seen the opposite happen like there are kids at our school who do poorly in every other class, but then they have that one teacher they really Mm -hmm. like for whatever reason. And they'll get like, they'll do great in that classroom, but none of the Mm -hmm. others. And it's because they really like the teacher. They've been able to build a connection with them. I know like one of the things this year, because all of our kids remote that we're looking at, like we'll look at, okay, there's a lot of kids with Fs this year that normally wouldn't have Mm -hmm. Fs. It's hard. Some of them you look like, right. And then you'll look like down the line, like, all right, these two particular teachers, say at a grade level, have a much lower failure rate than the others. And then you kind of approach them and you're like, what are you two doing different that the other four on the team are Mm -hmm. not doing? Because something is going on there where like, you know, and you kind of want to work with them and see what we can pull out of that. And you talk to the kids, like, what is it about this particular teacher that you're doing well? Like, how do they instruct you Mm -hmm. that's, like, different from others? You know, and it's not a one-to-one, like, it's not a direct cause in Mm -hmm. effect, but, you know, it's just kind of things that you look at. Yeah. So the same study or the same article, what they talked about um, that did have some success was basically treating the deficits in the child's recognition of distress cues. Mm. And we talked about that before. We're like, most of us, when we see, like, we read someone's body language or their facial expression, and if we see that they're distressed, if they're sad, if they're angry, if they're frightened, we'll usually pull back and adjust our reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, And kids with callous unemotional, 
it's kind of like either chum in the water. They're like, I'm going to press forward with my advantage or they just completely don't recognize it and do whatever they felt like doing anyway. Mm. So there's this computer-based program where parents and the kids would work together on examining different facial expressions or on screen. And in particular, the kids are tasked with like focusing on the eyes and like the look in a person's eyes and then with their parent exploring and discussing why a person might look that way in a particular moment. What are some of the things that cause a person to feel like that? And when they might have felt like that as well themselves. And the article made it sound like it was really less about the actual computer program and more about the parent and the kid bonding Mm -hmm. together. Because it was a time where the parents aren't yelling at them, they're not frustrated, they're like just trying to work together Mm -hmm. at that point. Do you you know if that had results listed or or like did they say that that was looking to be a promising or effective method they said like the results there were a bit higher they had a better the treatment outcomes were like higher they were able to reduce some of the unemotional traits and as well as like raise their scores on some of the um, empathy measures that were used as well so over time they were able to develop like a greater sense of empathy i'm curious I'm curious about that, and, re- and you're going to be quoting this article in a in a moment. But from like a neurobiological mm-hmm. basis, I'm very curious. Like the idea that when you're younger, your brain is more malleable, more plastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, is it? And this, I think that you know, there. I don't think there is an answer to this, but I'm very interested in if doing tasks like this. And there's some things that they mention mm-hmm. in the in the Atlantic article that you're that you're going to be quoting in a minute. That. Um, that basically this may be a window of time in which to rewire some of these processes in Mm -hmm. the brain and help them get away from becoming a full-blown adult psychopath. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very interested in that. And just the idea of like brain plasticity in general is something I find really fascinating. So um, if anyone's Mm -hmm. listening that has more insight into that kind of thing, I'd be very curious to hear about it. Um, I just, I find that fascinating. Yeah, I think the idea is like catch it before the age of 10, Mm -hmm. like catch it before adolescence or, might have even been as like young as eight, where if you can kind of catch those mm-hmm. traits at a very young age, there's a greater chance of uh, and work with them. There's a much greater chance that it wouldn't develop into full blown uh, conduct disorder and then like devolve into antisocial personality mm-hmm. disorder yeah. as a as an adult. Like the idea, like if if it's caught when you're a bit older, like a late adolescence uh, into teenage years, that by that point your brain is a bit more hardwired than it would be. And it can be much, much more difficult at that point to have these effective treatments. But there's also studies that show that like a lot, well, a number of the symptoms that are associated with antisocial personality disorder, they start to decrease as you go into right. middle age. There's like, there's like an ascension and then a descension, right? It's really interesting. Yeah. I, you see that also with, mm-hmm. uh, like they say with, with, um, to some degree, like borderline personality disorder, basically that mm-hmm. cluster of disorders that lack empathy. And I find that really fascinating. I just like, I just like genuinely want to know more what's going on in the brain. And like, right. is it hormonal? Yeah. Is it, 
you know, what was it? Is it the literal development of the brain? Is it the just the limbic system? Is it you know? I don't know. I'm I'm so mm-hmm. curious about that. But yeah. Well, and no. like most of the kids that I've known that have been kind of close to this kind of diagnosis have been so intelligent. So I wonder where the level of like manipulation and like masking those tendencies starts to come in. Mm-hmm. You know. So imagining like what age the kids would be doing this test would be did you say around eight ish yeah okay. as young as four yeah um, ah, okay yeah i think there was some of us some of the think actually i think for this study it was children between the ages of six and 11 years old mm. is what they looked at for in this particular article article says like for this particular study as young as six and as old as 11 mm. well it reminds me and i'll stop blabbing in a second i promise <laughs> yeah. it, it reminds me of like you know, we 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 pull up all these other development developmental milestones for kids, right? Like by this age, they should be walking. By this age, they should be talking. Right. I, I don't think that they're as is as easily recognizable or refined mm-hmm. a stance on like you should be doing this emotional thing yeah. by this right. age. And this intervention mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of interventions they would do for somebody who's struggling with speech development mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. what have you. It's like when I read this in your notes, I was like, oh, that's really cool. We should be doing more things like this because we we, yeah. apply, we apply it to this thing that we all agree is really important: emotional yeah. development and the ability to read social cues and, and interact with other people is should right. should be treated with equal importance. But it really yeah. should, and it from my experience with education, it's like the if you have time kind of thing, you totally. know, which yeah. is so frustrating because it makes such a big difference you know Mm -hmm. especially like the kids that I knew we wanted to do all of this stuff before they got so big that they could like overpower us you know so that's a factor too fair concern right we we had a kindergartner last year who he was placed outward by the end of the year and then there was the uh pandemic so we'll probably never see him again but he came to us like about a month into the year and he'd been exposed to some really horrible things but he was a tank mm-hmm. like i he would be up on a table they had to clear the classroom he would like threaten to throw chairs at the students and then we would have to get him and then like he would come down to my room and it took a lot to calm him down and then i found like what would work would be just giving him a yellow squish ball, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to be careful because you don't want like, well, now I want the yellow squish ball. So I'm going to be, you know, but yep. like he would mess you up. Like it was, yeah, yeah. he's going to be a linebacker one day if he ever <laughs> figures it out. Um, I, because like, I remember he was like, the principal comes to your room. I'm going to kick her in the belly. And sure enough, she came in the room and like, <laughs> Wham! Right in the belly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my God. Well, at least he uh, has follow through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he had a can-do attitude. <laughs> oh my goodness. And and he's gonna play football. This is a great American in the making, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, it's scary, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. It is. So there is. So talking about like a little another reason is like clinicians shy away from labeling kids as psychopaths because. And we're going to talk about that term psychopath in a little bit and kind of the, I want to say stigma around it, but how it's misused mm. and how it's kind of, it's a phrase that we use, I think, to make us feel better mm. than as opposed to maybe offering any sort of treatment. But clinicians like shy away from it because it feels like such a, a permanent and stigmatizing diagnosis. You get looked at a lot differently when you're given that and... You know, clinicians will talk, they'll say, like, if this kid has this, 
don't expect the best results when it comes to treatment. Like we can try to manage the symptoms, but we're going to be possibly very limited in our success overall. Mm. So this is from an article called When Your Child is a Psychopath from Barbara Bradley Haggerty. It was published in uh, on the Atlantic's website back in 2017. And I'll link it um, in the show notes too. Yeah, definitely do that. It's a long article. It's about, focuses around like this young girl who by the age of six had tried numerous times to like murder her two-year-old brother mm. um, and how she'd been in and out of hospitals. She completely lacked any sort of empathy and like she really like all the pictures she drew were of like her basically annihilating her whole family. Um, yeah, when you read the details in this article, I'm not laughing. I am laughing, but only because it seems like something out of a horror movie. It's like her first, really her first illustrations were of a knife and then a rope. And it's like, oh, yeah. and she's like putting bags on her pla- on her stuffed animals' heads and stuff mm-hmm. like this. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. But, wow. Yeah. And she would like tell her adopted mother how she wanted to kill her all the time. So this, you can read the details of the case. Like it's pretty fascinating. But this part of the article talks about why the diagnosis for kids is, is so rarely given. So from the article, in the children's mental health world, it's pretty much a terminal diagnosis, except your child's not going to die, Jen says. It's just that there's no help. I yeah, said it. Yes. <laughs> so this, this is article, by the way, Jen is in this article. <laughs> I am, yeah. Yes. But it's Jen with a single N, so she probably knows yes. a lot more about this than I do. That's your pseudonym? <laughs> that is Jen with a single N. <laughs> that would be the worst that. pseudonym ever, but yeah. Yes. She recalls walking out of the psychiatrist's office on that warm afternoon and standing on a street corner in Manhattan as pedestrians pushed past her in a blur, including a woman with a stroller mm. standing there looking at, or I shouldn't make jokes, <laughs> a feeling flooded over her, singular, unexpected, hope. Someone had finally acknowledged her family's plight. Perhaps she and Danny could, against the odds, find a way to help their daughter. Mm. Researchers shy away from calling children psychopaths. The term carries too much stigma and too much determinism. They prefer to describe children like Samantha as having callous and unemotional traits, Shorthand for a cluster of characteristics and behaviors, including lack of empathy, remorse, or guilt, shallow emotions, aggression, and even cruelty, and a seeming indifference to punishment. Callous and unemotional children have no trouble hurting others to get what they want. If they do seem caring and empathetic, they're probably trying to manipulate Mm, you. And that's what I was thinking when we were talking about that one teacher that you build the rapport with. I was like, maybe they're just trying to get something from that teacher, you know? (laughs) Maybe, but you would think they would maybe adapt that. I, I, because I don't think, you know, at that point you would have hundreds of kids in the school that are little psychopaths. (laughs) Um, But I think sometimes you can just build like a genuine, a genuine um, connection. Yeah. Otherwise, they would probably do it with all their teachers. And, and so I, the term... Well, I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. I, I was going to say, I think one of the myths of psychopathy or things that we have for movies is that if you're like a psychopath, you can't form connections. You can't care mm-hmm. for anyone. No. And I don't think that's... I mean, it's it's true in the broad strokes a lot of the time, but not necessarily all the time or in the small right. strokes. Well, Which is something I think we see in this movie, too. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, you form those connections because you can get something out of the relationship. You might not give anything back, but... You can fake it till you make it to kind of get things out of another person. Mm -hmm. So the term psychopath itself is pretty loaded. We kind of use it in a way to dehumanize persons that commit 
what we commonly perceive as these really inhuman acts. And we do it really so we can feel some relief. Because when you label a person a psychopath, you're kind of just writing off their actions as pure mm. evil at that point. Mm. And what you can do is absolve yourself of really any responsibility of examining the motives behind the actions uh, or what could have been done to prevent them at all. So you kind of give a person that label so you can kind of put them in a box and put them in a corner and not have to think about it again, mm -hmm. um, let alone any of the underlying conditions that kind of cause this at that point. That's interesting. We had a principal and we would talk about whether or not she was a psychopath. And, and a lot of it was that was to try to like distance ourselves from the kind of emotional mm -hmm. pain that she would cause us, you know, yeah. really like my own experiences in counseling had been like really frustrating. I had two, technically three kids with a diagnosis of ODD. The third one was definitely misdiagnosed. And I took that off as thing after working with him like he doesn't have ODD mm -hmm. like it's not intentional on this kid's part he just misses some cues we can work on that but like one of them was this kid who he was like in an alternative school for kids with aggressive behaviors he was like kicked out of the school or suspended indefinitely for literally like fist fighting a teacher like he jumped him and then fist fought him and he would come to like session and have his phone out and I'm like I'm like, look, you can do this. I'm getting paid either way. So, you know, like, if you're just going to sit here and be on your phone, like, it's not going to be helpful. But, you know, and then I finally had mom, like, you can't bring that in with him. Like, he has to leave it with you. Like, otherwise, don't bother bringing him. You're wasting your time and my time at that point. But he would say things like how he would, like, ride his bike to in and out of traffic to try to make people like go off the road he would like scream at people when he was in his car um and that they would like look over you know, you look around in traffic and if he saw someone looking at him he would just start screaming obscenities at him and you know i would ask like what are you gonna do like you're almost 18 like what are you gonna do if you do this and someone gets hurt like you're gonna go to prison dude he's like they'll never catch me like i'm way too smart and i'm like you read at a third grade <laughs> level you know, you're not a genius, mm -hmm. you know, I'd be just thinking like, it's not. So that was really short term. Like they just stopped coming. Like sometimes people just like, can't, they just stop. Mm -hmm. So, and I am pretty quick to cut people off. Like if you miss X amount of appointments, I'm like, nope, like, I'm sorry, but there's so much of a backlog that if you're not going to commit to coming, um, I can't, you know, like, and I actually had someone say, you don't want to be my therapist? And I'm like, well, I'm I'm not. Like, you've missed five appointments out of six. Like, I'm not your therapist right mm -hmm. now, dude. You know? So this other kid I worked with for, like, a real long time, he had a twin sister who was a straight-A honor roll student, single mom who was trying everything that she could. But again, like, he went through three school adjustment counselors in one oh, year. Hey. Like, <laughs> two of them just refused to work with him after him. I think one of them, the mom was like, I don't want him working with this person anymore. And the other one was like, I'm sorry, but I'm not. So like three in a year, he would run out of the classroom. He would, he would run home. He would like threaten me in session. And I'm like, dude, really, how do you think that would go for you? Like, come on, come on. He would curse mom out in front of me. Like she would be in the room to check in and like he would just like start cursing her out. He was suspended for threatening to kill a teacher because she took his new iPhone away because, you know, you're not supposed to have it out in mm -hmm. class. 
But like the parent would insist, like it's everyone else is wrong. It's not my son. He's a really sweet kid. You should see my face now, <laughs> listeners. Um, anything, anything that was suggested, like she just wouldn't mm-hmm. do. Um, she was like adamant. I take like the ODD charge off his diagnosis. So I'm like, nope, not doing that. You don't dictate to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like you've come to me for help, and this is what these are all the things that are ticking right now. So and. It would, and I would tell mom, like, look, I'm f- 45 minutes of your son's whole week. If you don't do any of the things that we've suggested, that the school has suggested, that your doc- his doctor has suggested, like, we're just wasting our time. Because, like, I'm such a small part of his week. And I remember, like, I would just dread him coming in. I remember at one point, at the, the second to last appointment we had, because he would come in and after a while, like, if he knew you were asking, if you would... We would talk, we would like play cards, and then he would just shut down and tell me to fuck off over and over again and just wouldn't talk, like just completely clam up. And I remember like the next to last session, I was doing a rewards inventory with him. We were just trying to find something that maybe could work as like a reward-based system. And he was doing it for like 10 minutes, and then he was like, well, why are we doing this? And I'm up front, and I'm like, this is why, again, here's why. Like, I want to see if there's something that you enjoy enough that, like, you can do more of it, mm-hmm. you know, if you can, you know, do what mom asked you to do. Like, I want to make sure that you're rewarded for, and as soon as he knew it was for that, he just wouldn't answer a mm. question. And I'm like, look, do you, I, I would ask, like, if you want another counselor, that's cool. Like, I don't take offense. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't answer that. I'm like, hmm. Must want to come because I'm giving you an out mm-hmm. right now. I remember like when he got suspended for the iPhone thing, the next week he came in and he had his phone on him. And I'm like, why does he still have his phone? Like, well, I didn't want to punish him. He was already suspended from school. I'm like, but he hates school. Like, that's the best thing for him. He hates school. Like, he's home alone right now watching YouTube videos and playing video games and he's on mm-hmm. his phone. She's like, yeah, I just don't want to take it away. Like, mom refused to do anything. So finally, after like that, I brought mom in and I'm like, we're done here. Like, this isn't mm-hmm. helping. So I think we're going to just discharge him at this point because like nothing mm-hmm. is working. And she was to the, saying like, well, he doesn't do any of those things. He's always good to me. I don't know why he's not like this with anyone else. At that point, he turned to her and just started cursing her out with such a per, uh, tirade of profanity, which wasn't the first time. And I'm like, okay, so tell me again about how he's... Yeah, Sounds like she like, needs please, to get help cause... first, and then she, her kid yeah. can get help. Yeah. 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 And that was... So it was really... like I would just dread him. And this was like the one kid who made every single appointment. Mm. You're like, oh, he never got a relief. <laughs> uh-huh. So, in, you know, talking about the mom, like one of our listeners, uh, Lindsay Moore, she posted a link to an episode of This American Life called bad baby and it did talk about how parents are viewed and i try to be empathetic to the parent and try to understand what they're going through they talk about how hard it is because you just want like what can i do to make my kid happy like what's going on and like one parent said in the uh segment how nobody talks about how my other two kids are like honor roll Mm -hmm. students they just tell me like what a bad parent i am because of this one kid and this and it was true like this other, this kid, like, had a twin sister who was, like, straight A, honor roll, really kind. And he would talk about how when they got in a car accident, he laughed at her because she mm. was scared. He's like, I thought that was really funny because she was so mm-hmm. scared and I don't care. And it's just, like, it was really mm-hmm. chilling. 
So it's really hard to deal with. I've had some experiences in the schools when I was interning with a kid who it was the same deal, like total stone face wouldn't open up and you're like, you can't win yeah. them all. It was just very, very it hard. Is, yeah, I've had several kids over the years who I don't know if they've, I've had a, a couple with ODD and a couple that I'm not exactly sure what their diagnosis was because as their music teacher, it wasn't always necessary that I knew exactly what it was. I mm-hmm. just needed to know the treatment plan. and. It's I remember their parents coming in and the the tendency is to say, what are you doing? Why aren't you helping? Why aren't you doing this? And they would just be like, we've taken everything out of their room. They have nothing in their room. Mm -hmm. We can't like we just don't know what to do, you know, and it's like it's almost like just throwing things against a wall at a certain point until you find the Mm -hmm. thing that sticks, you know, and that's what the reward is. And sometimes it feels like giving them something so you can take it if you and it's just it's so frustrating and it's like I know you said like it feels like failure and I just like want to say it's it's I think it's not failure to keep trying because it's just you just don't know what it is that's going to work yeah it's not it's not failure because we as humanity have just not figured this we haven't cracked this nut yet it's intensely complicated and I'm, I, I think I would encourage everyone to read that Atlantic article that we're going to link because I think there were some really interesting outcomes from this treatment program, the Mendota Juvenile Treatment Center thing that is that is referenced in that article, just re- mm-hmm. referring specifically to almost developing a very specific reward system within the, the treatment center and then the, the post um, outcomes of, of the people being less recidivism, less reoffending. I mean, it's just really fascinating to me. Um, mm. And again, it's like figuring out how to hijack the unique trait of symptoms that you see in mm. these cases, even without almost fully understanding why it's working, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I just find it really interesting. Right. And it's also important to note that not everyone that shows signs of psychopathy is violent. Yes. And I think that we think that those two things are intrinsically linked together, but there's also, it's shown in, you know, like Wall Street bankers, for example. Mm -hmm. Basically like professions where there's high risk with other person's assets. Mm -hmm. So like Bernie Madoff, for example, was an example of someone they think might have shown signs of psychopathy. Like you could have, if you kind of look at it, but it kind of goes under the, kind of like really flies under the radar at that point because we so closely see it or associate it only with sign, only with like violent criminal acts. Mm. Like a lot of it is to do with impulsivity. A lot of it is to do mm-hmm. you see the the idea that you think you're not going to get caught, mm-hmm. which is tied to the lack of empathy. And sometimes some of those traits can actually make you very high functioning in certain. Like if you're a, mm-hmm. a really cold, callous surgeon, but you're obsessed with doing a great job as a surgeon, like you know, do you really care if your surgeon has a ton of empathy for you as long as they're doing a good job? You know, I mean, some yeah. of these things can. Prove to be adaptive and I think that what we see in this is probably a, a misfiring of these adaptations like in like in many psychological disorders yeah I yeah. had a kid that was very, very charismatic and had ODD and had a mother that made every excuse for him and was also like very litigious and like used every loophole in the system to tie mm-hmm. our hands for anything. Like she would come in and just record any meetings she had with teachers so that she had any kind of evidence to use again. It was it was so frustrating. He basically tanked that entire year 
for like mm-hmm. all three classes because it was because yeah. we couldn't do anything and talk, speaking of dreading him coming to class like it would just ruin the rest of my day because we, mm-hmm. because I couldn't do anything it was so frustrating right. but he was so he was not ever violent he was very like he would steal things and he was very like he was a shit stirrer you know because mm-hmm. I think it was just that he wanted that attention you know so yeah I mean you would I would you would hear things like well you know, how do I know that, like, he threatened to kill her? It's like, well, the teacher's reporting it. Why would they make that up? Well, sh- they should know that, you know, he's not serious. Like, yeah, it's 2019 or, you mm-hmm. know, when this happened. Like, that gets taken serious now. And I think you know because right. I think, yeah, I think you know how serious that gets taken now. You and live how in this are, world, you, know. you dumbass. Like, right. right. So it's like, I don't care. You can't go around like threatening to murder your teachers or anyone else in 2019. Yeah. She would say, well, you don't like my son. So you made that up. And I was like, no, the fuck I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's a losing battle right there. (laughs) It really was. And we got to the point where we were just like, you know, those two are the ones that are ultimately going to pay for all of this because they're the ones Mm -hmm. that go home at night. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because what do you do? You know, anyways, well, maybe that's a, so, yeah. so that was depressing. That was depressing. I, I know. I, I, I have an answer to the question of what do you do? You better watch out. You better watch out. Yeah, you better. Oh, I mean, boy. I cried, so that ship has sailed, but, you know. <laughs> and we're about to tell you why. We are about to tell you why. I'm like, thank you for telling us so much about why also. Um, mm. Nice list joke. Because I've lost the thread of the song. Anyways. There we go. <laughs> uh, yes. Ho, ho, ho. That, these that makes these kids are definitely on the naughty list. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, yeah. These... Exactly. There you go. That's good. I think they need a new kind of list for these kids, too. All right. So now let's dig into how we see this play out in Better Watch Out. And I think we need to talk about Luke. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I couldn't help it. Uh, I got to figure out how to make that Christmassy. Anyways, um, so Luke is our kid here. And the thing that struck me this time when I watched it, especially since we just watched I Know What You Need or We Need to Talk About Kevin, they just seems so different and I think part of that is because we are not viewing him through Franklin's lens we're viewing him through Eva's lens and we need to talk about Kevin so we're seeing just the brunt of his manipulation and here we see him like he has made attachments like his friend Garrett he's he plays into this sweet little kid thing very very well in a way that freaked me out you know absolutely yeah I think what's interesting is like they have very similar socioeconomic yes like two parents in the home super wealthy like almost an obstantaneous amount of wealth like absolutely wanting for nothing and yet like this is the kind of outcome that you get Mm -hmm. in both cases yeah yeah and yeah and it's it's interesting because i think it's another thing that's pointed out in that atlantic article which is just fresh on my mind because i just read it today that you know the, the way that they and again I don't know if this is correct I am literally just quoting the article because it's the last thing I read on the subject they said that they're you know there's a, a obviously I think everything is a mixture of nature and nurture I think that that mm-hmm. dichotomy is is a false one but that there mm-hmm. te- there are people who have seemed to have more innate tendencies in this direction and a lot of mm-hmm. you know in specifically in that article they were talking about this a center full of juvenile offenders how the vast majority of them came from low socioeconomic conditions, had been abused uh, to an egregious extent. Um, And there were mixed in there people from 
middle class, upper socioeconomic, you know, stable economic environments, no history of abuse. They still just had these tendencies and that there would seem to be a strong genetic component in those cases. And so I think, again, I don't know that this movie was was really aiming for anything that sophisticated in terms of like the origin story of this character. But um, both both Luke and Kevin seem to be you know the the even even more repugnant in you know in the way that we view them as characters because they want for nothing and yet they're mm-hmm. such little fucking shits it's yeah. almost impossible not to absolutely despise them if this were real life i would still say like hey this is an uh, an opportunity we shouldn't dehumanize them but as far as characters in a movie goes fuck them you know right yeah, and absolutely. i will say a lot of this this comes down again not to keep harping on this but that performance from levi miller um I could just say, like, you, you feel how much fun he's having during this performance, and it makes mm-hmm. him really fun to watch. Like like you said, uh, I think, Jen, you comment at one point, like, how his voice cracks when he's screaming, yeah. screaming at Garrett. He is, like, this perfect embodiment of the archetype of, like, the, like, you know, video game playing, like, kid in his in his you know parents house who seems to have everything but just taken to that next level of uh, where he's actually killing people Mm -hmm. absolutely loathsome to watch but I never wanted to stop watching him and I think that makes his his performance really compelling obviously way more overstated than the understated performances we see in we need to talk about Kevin but Mm -hmm. that all plays into the bananas fun tone of this movie well it struck me that Luke is a lot less mature than Kevin and had like Mm -hmm. less control of his emotions. And it's interesting because we were just talking about like callous, unemotional, but I think a lot of time, like I see him being kind of emotional throughout this movie, like when he loses control. And the moment that I think stands out to me is when he kills Garrett and he, it's like, he just lost it. And then, Mm -hmm. and to speak to that performance, like he's screaming, screaming, and then he just flips. And he said, you were starting to annoy me anyways. And it just gave me the chills. The other moment is when he's standing, he's just knocked Ashley down the steps and he's just standing with that gun, like rubbing it on his face. It's like, fuck you little kid and it just Mm -hmm. so chilling but I was wondering because I feel like I know a lot of people like Luke maybe I don't know a lot of people like Luke but I know a couple a couple significant people in my life that have exhibited these kind of behaviors of wanting to like humiliate people me Mm -hmm. and kind of just have me not really being able to do anything about it because it just seemed like the goal was just to be a dick to me you know Mm -hmm. and I was wondering how narcissism plays in and I guess the, I wonder if that's just me seeing blue vans everywhere because I know so many narcissists. no there's a lot of that I mean I think that there is going to be you see a lot of those traits in Luke as well mm-hmm. like wanting to be the center of attention it's all about himself it's about manipulation manipulating others in order to kind of like raise his own esteem mm-hmm. at that point and you know the idea of like never really taking responsibility for your own actions mm-hmm. but always framing them in a way that it's like what someone else made you do. Mm-hmm. There is definitely a lot of narcissism uh, inherent in Luke's character. Absolutely. And I think that those, you know, these personality disorders, whatever you want to call them, if it's narcissism, if it's antisocial person, they have a lot in common. And that mm-hmm. is that lack of empathy. And I, I think that, you know, it, it takes a skilled clinician to diagnose and accurately, di- you know, and, and who knows, Maybe we'll change our definitions of these things in 10 years because they've already undergone so mm-hmm. many changes. But I do think that a lot of these these things have more shared traits than not, you know? Yeah. 
And I think that might be the biggest reason that this film bothers me so much is just because I see it just tapped into some old experiences and some kind of old emotional pain Mm -hmm. of people I know. Not people, I don't know any murderers that I know of, but like, but the seeds were there and I could see it kind of maybe in a different environment escalating to that. And, and, you know, one thing I kind of talked about in therapy was the difference between like physical and emotional abuse was like, it's not the same, but it feels the same, you know? So I was watching Mm -hmm. this and I was like, this didn't happen to me, but it feels like what did. And so that was, it just, uh. I think, I think I said, I saw this movie in 2015. It was 2016. Mm. So I, I got the year wrong because what I remember now is like when I watched this movie, it was, it was, like three weeks before the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. And I remember like at the time thinking like, all right, in three weeks, this buffoon is going to go away <laughs> and we're never going to have to hear from I him again. I remember thinking that too, man. And it hits like a lot different because one of the things about Luke is like no one ever stands up and says no yeah. to him. Or no one that, I should say, no one that is in a position to say no to him ever does. Like Ashley is like, taped to a chair there's not a lot she can do but she's also like really defiant the whole Mm -hmm. time you know she as best as she can be but like there's so many points where like someone could have just said to him like nope you're not gonna do this you little fuckwit Mm -hmm. and then it would have ended right there and i remember like watching it now what hits so differently is like and i hate to say it almost everything gets framed at this point in 2020 through like the lens of like what a shit show this country has it's because we have because of the current administration yeah, and i think because we are undergoing it's almost like we are all in the same abusive relationship mm-hmm. with, with a right. true narcissist possibly a psychopath uh i, I mm-hmm. mean i think you could make an argument for our for 45 either way yeah but mm-hmm. but i mean so i think it's it's really hard not to frame that because we are undergoing right we are undergoing a collective trauma. And, and I think I think within a few years, maybe we'll have enough perspective to be able to say like, well, not everything mm-hmm. is about that, but right now it, it really feels that way. It's, it's yeah. impossible. Well, I think it is. And I think in particular it is right now because, uh, you know, I think it was like a, earlier this week or maybe last weekend, there was an article in the Washington Post that basically said, it was an inside look at what was going on in the weeks after the election and how basically everyone in the inner circle is like, well, we know that he lost, but really what's the harm in indulging him right now? Indulge him all the way into a coup. (laughs) Yeah. This is the harm. This movie shows what the harm is. Exactly. Right. And it made me think of this movie because you have a character like Luke who like is just a giant fucking baby that because this young woman who's way out of his league and too old for him. And she's his fucking baby. Right. And she says, because, no, like really like, that should be all that right. he needs, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> and I get it. Like when you were like, you know, like you said, I think I said 15, I think you're both right. He was like 12 or 13 years old. You're, you know, you hear no, and you don't, you keep pressing, you know, how many times, like the Simpsons joke, we go to Mount Splashmore, <laughs> you know, you just, mm, you know, yes. so, yes. but it's just like, because someone has said no to him, his reaction is so violent and over right. the top. It's petrifying. Yeah, and it's like that's why you can never, ever, ever give people like this any modicum of power. And we are living in the why, you know, to the right. two hundred thousand plus dead people and yeah, tick ticking up. I'm sure by another fifty thousand by the time this this episode mm. drops. I'm interested in what you have to say. I, th- I think these are your notes, Mike, about how Luke is infantilized by his parents. Yeah. Mm. So. 
that's one of the things is like how much he's babied, especially by his mom overall. Because Virginia Madsen's character like definitely rules that. Yeah, they, roost. they couldn't have cast her as a more like archetypal like nag, ball busting nag, you know, mm-hmm. of a wife. Mm-hmm. But but I think it is interesting in the way that that the dynamic that sets up for Liz. just like yeah. And some of the, I mean, like there are some definitely homophobic jokes that she makes at the expense of her yeah, husband. I, like, I was almost thrown off by that dialogue at the top of the movie. I was like, mm-hmm. where, what is the tone of this? Where are we going? Right. But then it all, it all kind of comes mm-hmm. together when you see the son they've produced. Yeah. Right. right. Well, that's true. Would, would it break your heart if I told you they improvised all of that? No, because I think you're just getting into a character. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's true. You're looking yeah. at like, what is something that this character would say? Not something like, what would Virginia Madsen say? It is like, right. what would someone, and she's like, are you sure you haven't sucked a cock even in college? <laughs> right. All cause, because he wants to listen to Christmas music and wear a jaunty Christmas tie. <laughs> And I will say I, d- I did an improv show called True Crimes where I play. I really relished in playing serial killers, and I don't want to even think about any of the things that might have come out of my mouth while playing a serial <laughs> killer. That's true. <laughs> but the fact that Luke is 13 years old and still needs a babysitter is a bit concerning. Yeah. Like that the parents can't trust him to stay home alone for like a few hours in this really my mom wouldn't trust me to stay home alone at that age like i mean i I, yeah no she wouldn't she wouldn't she just wouldn't i mean she would either have a relative be there or be there she i mean but then again you wonder why i have anxiety Mm -hmm. (laughs) she really made like me feel you know things were not safe if Mm -hmm. ever (laughs) yeah i i found that like eye raising that at that age the kids didn't still had like uh and someone who's not even like super older than him you know staying with him at that point uh, mom hiding like the sleep the um sleepwalking and like oh we're gonna put a pencil on the door and he'll never know yeah i think she even tells him that like he can't watch scary movies because like he'll have nightmares like she just like completely like babies him from mm-hmm. start to finish and i think that plays a lot into the idea of him never hearing no do you know what i mean mm-hmm. totally um, mm-hmm. And he's got this kind of like psychosexual thing happening with his mom. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like he, at first, before he goes fully crazy, he puts his head on Ashley's shoulder while they're watching mm-hmm. the movie. And then that's echoed later when his mom is comfort comforting him after mm-hmm. all this horrible death happened in their home. And he kind of puts his head on her shoulder. And it's like, it's like you can just see he was probably breastfed until he was like nine years old or what have you, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's just like, mommy, me, 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 give me the booby, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, not that, not that I think that right. that actually correlates to anything in reality but you know that was in the screenwriter's head. (laughs) Right. Well, and I don't think it helps either, you know? And so I am going to link another article about kind of why this movie I don't think did as well as I think it should have because Mm -hmm. I think it's great. And one of the things I noticed what they pointed out was that it released the day before the Harvey Weinstein story broke. Mm -hmm. To speak of another person who has way too much power and is a total fucking asshole. But I think, like, this is like the boys will be boys kind of thing. You know, like, oh, he... He's, you know, whatever. He's just mm-hmm. a kid. He doesn't mean it, you know, and just excusing this over and over and over again. And I don't necessarily think that that's causing anything. I, I like if she did breastfeed him longer than is, I, I don't want to say normal. Yes, no, but, I, don't, you know. I don't know anything actually about breastfeeding or the development of when or when you should not. I just, right. it's like, well, it just but, has a vibe. It's a vibe, you know. I would say <laughs> nine is a little bit too old. 
I made that up, but you know, for, for comedic effect. But yes, mm-hmm. yes. But it's like the soup you were talking about last week. It's like it yes. all goes into this soup of just this little shit thinking he is entitled to whatever he right. wants and it doesn't matter and he will always get away with it because he is super smart and he can. You know? I do think mm-hmm. that the filmmaker, um, they don't have a boys will be boys mentality going on here right. because I think that like to the film's credit, in Laura, you talked about how good Levi Miller is in this and like the cracking of the voice. Like he's not presented as a sympathetic character that you're supposed to root for. Like mm-hmm. throughout this whole movie, you see what a shit bag he is. Like it's mm-hmm. not like it's, you know, this isn't Lloyd Dobler uh, in training trying to win over the girl of his dreams. Like this is a little crazy person um, that is very violent and very scary, but also like, part of the reason he can get away with it is he's like everybody else dismisses him so quickly because mm-hmm. like he is such a little pissant. Mm-hmm. So like when Ricky he's showed... got a cherubic little face and big yeah. blue eyes. And, yeah. it, he has the perfect face for fucking punching in this movie. <laughs> like... <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of him because he played Peter Pan. He was in mm-hmm. that movie A Wrinkle in Time as like the teen heartthrob in that mm-hmm. movie. You know, he's kind of got that's like his look and his vibe is very like innocent, yeah. lucky young boy. And like, yeah. that's, I think he really must have enjoyed playing this character. <laughs> like, what do you yeah. think of his plan to seduce the bait? Because this is not a well thought out plan. No, it's, it's not. And it's fuck com- you for thinking that too. Sorry, not you, but him. no, no, I fuck didn't Luke. think you meant. <laughs> I, I did not think you meant. I didn't about, think so either. But, but, but no. I mean, I, again, that kind of, it does sort of play into that idea of like impulsivity. Like it, this was premeditated, but it's still a very impulsive plan in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Where it's like it's premeditated enough to show that you thought this out, but like again, lacking empathy to think that anyone on the other side of this would fall for it or be mm-hmm. into it, even if right. like she did think that he had saved her from the home invaders. Say part part A of his plan went well. Like what she's about to just what fuck him then because. Right. Right. he saved her from a gunman or something like you're fucking 12 kid like st- mm-hmm. you know you what again that is a, a really good example of lacking empathy in a way that you mm-hmm. don't think about it's just not being able to see things from the other person's point of view and it goes into why these people always get caught IRL uh mm-hmm. you know and it's just because you really on. cannot see things from other people's perspectives therefore you make stupid mistakes and you think that you're a lot smarter than you are yeah yeah and I wrote the word incel in my notes and I we could probably have a long conversation conversation aside from this about whether that word actually fits him but I think what I see with him is he he doesn't want Ashley as a human being as her own person he wants her as a conquest and as a status symbol for him and I think that's why this plan seems so kind of short-sighted because he's not looking at her as a human being who would have like emotional responses to this he's looking at her as the disgusting thing he says at the beginning like this is going to be the reaction to her being scared not like she might like save him or like the like mm-hmm. what she does and she's very competent and very and I love her in this movie but what I think she has been excusing him for a long time by saying that oh you know when she was just the babysitter and when it was like oh you're still my little buddy you know and just kind of putting him off and the moment that she drops that when she realizes that it's Garrett and this whole thing was a plan the moment that she drops that and she's like you're a little shit this is stupid like did you think you were going to get away with it and really mm-hmm. starts shaming him that's when it's like the rage boils over and yeah, he can't and let it's it when go he hits anymore. her and knocks her down the stairs yeah, yeah. he can't take mm-hmm. the humiliation and um, so now he's got to humiliate her, which he does, and it's really upsetting. Mm-hmm. So. And what I like is how this this it's not afraid to show 
exactly the kind of violence that this kid is capable of. Uh-huh. You know, from like slapping her in the face to knock her down the stairs, hitting her over the head with a brick mm-hmm. when she almost gets away. And then like the utter callousness in like gunning his best friend, not once, but twice. Like mm-hmm. he shoots him and then like fatally wounds him. Like, and it doesn't really give it much thought at that point. Like it's not afraid to like show how violent this kid is capable of and the glee that he takes in like that paint scene in particular, the, mm-hmm. that paint can scene is so well executed, it's so um, well done, yeah. you know, and it, it's played for laughs right up into the moment that it's not like when that can first comes swinging down, it's like, that's when the shit gets really real mm-hmm. at that point. And it's, I think it's so wonderfully performed by everyone involved there too. And it's that, it's that terror of knowing that this little shit has that much power. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And and I think that that's what he wields even over like Garrett. I don't know if we want to talk in more detail about Garrett and yeah. how how he has so many opportunities, like physical opportunities to take control of the situation. Mm-hmm. To, and I mean, and and it is stated pretty clearly at the at the that thirty minute twist in the movie that he's doped up on oxycontin and is mm-hmm. and like at some point smokes a joint. So he's a little out of his faculties, especially mm-hmm. as like a twelve or thirteen year old. But he does have multiple opportunities to overtake Luke and he's clearly not happy with the way the night is playing out he himself is not taking the level of pleasure in in this he's you can just definitely tell he's like on a carnival ride that he doesn't know how to get off of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but but I think it speaks to the psychological influence that Luke wields over him and that people like Luke wield over the people in their lives. They're like a planet. You get sucked into their orbit. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, And that's true with these, a lot of these big toxic personalities. Yeah. And that's when he's a, she's able to convince him. She's like, he does not give a fuck about you. And it's only right. it's only when he's out of the room and is like, you know, in that moment and he has to he has to be so beaten down by the course of the evening to even have a moment where he's he disobeys Luke and then he immediately gets punished for it. So I think that mm-hmm. that kind of dynamic is really interesting because if we brought it into that, if we if we were focusing on the Luke and Garrett dynamic, it would become one of our toxic and abusive relationships episodes mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, again, he's being very manipulated and his own self-esteem and ego very obliterated by Luke. And and it's how he he ends up going along with this plan that he really is not even a mature enough to to go along with. Yeah, and I think the thing that bugged me because I do feel really sorry for Luke, and I think Ed Oxenbold gives a great performance as yeah. well. There's really not a bad performance in yeah, this movie. The, I don't the, think the, the actress playing Ashley as well, Olivia um, DeJong, I think. DeJong, yeah, mm-hmm. she's yeah. great. Everybody's great in this movie. I really they think are. it's a solid lineup. But the thing that bugs me so much about Garrett is how on board he is with all of the, the sexual yeah. assault of Ashley. Oh, yeah. And I even wrote that in my notes because he's the one that dares him to touch her boob. And mm-hmm. he asks him to, he asks Luke to dare him. And he says, why does he get to have all the fun? And I was like, oh, you're yeah. totally fucking on board for that part. It's just when it's murder. And I do understand that's an escalation, but there's still like, that is a damaging crime too. And yeah. I yeah. think. You know, that was I, I found a lot of argue, or articles talking about like the toxic masculinity and the sexual assault aspect of this movie, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not really what we're focusing on today. So I haven't really brought it up too but much, it is, but, it, but it's there. It's, it's it definitely is. cooked in and it's not subtle. Like it's meant to be there. Right. Yeah, and I yeah. think it, it feels 
it feels weirder and harder to get your head around because the people perpetrating it are like 12 or 13 years old mm -hmm. so yeah. it, fe it feels weirdly schoolyard and like creepy and but it but at the same level you're like oh this at any moment could tip over into like actual rape or sexual assault uh -huh. like i mean full and it i mean it does tip over in my opinion into sexual assault yeah if not full-blown you know rape but like i think that that is so it's so uncomfortable to see these like barely pubescent boys being the perpetrators of it but i think it, it is important to, to acknowledge that absolutely does happen you know mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's very upsetting <laughs> Yeah. And there's an element of like being too young to understand the consequences of your actions, which is, I think, kind of where Garrett is. Like, I think this is all like a movie to him, you know, to kind of he, he feels like Stu Mocker in a lot of ways from Scream like this. This was fun. And now it's real. And I mean, Stu does murder people, but like <laughs> this, this is real. And now the shit's going down. And how are we going to get out of this? That's when it turns for him, you know. Whereas, and I think that's when he starts to see what the consequences are. And I think the difference between him and Luke is Luke sees the consequences and doesn't care and continues to escalate. And I found myself as I was watching it the second time and I knew everything that was going to happen, wondering how much of this was actually Luke's plan. Because he gives the impression that this was, he planned the whole thing. He was never going to let Ashley go. He was never going, like, I killed the hamster. Like, he, he wants this illusion of being in control and this big man. And I just want wonder how much of that is like the facade that he's putting on to like make him I think feel like you see how good he is at like faking emotions because the you just mentioned the hamster there's a point where like Ashley says to him like you know you told me when you killed Garrett's hamster like how you cried about it mm -hmm. like it made it feel sad and he's like yeah I faked that like mm -hmm. I didn't care that I killed the mm -hmm. hamster like didn't bother me I meant at all to kill I faked the hamster. it yeah uh, I think he even says that he fakes the sleepwalking because it's a way to kind of manipulate his mother. Mm -hmm. Like he knows like, and again, it's like we talked, I think last week when we talked about kinds of empathy and there's like cognitive empathy um, where you know what you're supposed to say and what you're supposed to do mm -hmm. as a way to manipulate others to get what you want from them. Mm -hmm. um, and he very much possesses that kind of empathy. Like, Oh, this is how a person would react if this happened. So therefore, I'm going to manipulate the situation. And you see him able to like, he's very Machiavellian in that way. And he's very good at like improvising. Mm -hmm. Like when his plan doesn't go perfect, each step of the way, he's like, well, I, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And I think it's because he's so young that people kind of underestimate. And he's so slight yes, of stature. Yes. Mm -hmm that he's underestimated and that is a really dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. Like in the hallway with Ricky, when he has turned his back on him and he just knocks him out with the bat, you know, mm -hmm. oh, that little kid, man, he gets that under my skin. Fucking creepy <laughs> <Yeah>. kid. <laughs> but it's so interesting to compare him to Garrett because I think that's where I can really start to see the psychopathic traits come out. Whereas mm -hmm. I feel like Garrett just, He's just kind of a shitty kid, like who just, mm -hmm. you know, doesn't have really strong, uh, you know, values or, or doesn't, you know, really respect people. But he, you clearly see where the line is. Like, it's, yeah. it's couldn't be more vivid. Mm -hmm. And I forgot, Laura, I think you said he has the shotgun the entire time. Mm -hmm. you That's know? what I'm saying. Like, in a lot of the scenes, he has absolute power to do, you know to get out of it and to get Ashley out of it. And he chooses not to, but I do, I do think mm -hmm. there is an element of like psychological control happening. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, that Luke is very good at, at doing, it doesn't excuse Garrett, but it, <laughs> exactly. But yeah. You but you can I see how it's playing out. Yeah. 
And as someone who has been in a relationship with somebody who is that emotionally manipulative too, I can say like it, it you can't see out of it sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it look it looks a lot different from the inside than it does from the outside is what I usually say. But yep. um, ooh. well, I got one more little thing okay. and it's not about the characters per se, but more about the setup. Mm. I love the way this movie sets up the home invasion angle by playing into things that we've seen a million times before. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, there's a moment early in the film when Ashley is driving to the house mm-hmm. and you see her car driving off and it's a distant shot of her car. And then another car just pulls into the street and turns down the one she's traveling. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's seen a home invasion or a horror movie before immediately thinks oh she's being targeted yeah the threat is from outside the house and not inside the house Mm -hmm. so it's just so well done and it's just like little cues like that throughout the first 30 minutes of the movie they're talking about going up into the attic and then they go up into the attic and i loved that Mm -hmm. i was like Mm -hmm. and that wasn't black christmas was it I think Black Christmas does have yeah, the Black attic, yeah, is, yeah. But I mean, but there's I, lots of things that have have an that's true. attic I, component. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I actually think it was not a movie. I think it was a movie within a movie. Because um, there's a character called Scary Movie Girl <laughs> instead. Yeah. Yes, it's because they're watching. They're watching like whatever that slasher is. That yeah. Right. What were your thoughts on the last five minutes of the movie before it's revealed that Ashley? lives like what were your thoughts as you see like oh my god this like like i think in the synopsis we put it as like the ferris bueller ending mm-hmm. where he like ties up all the loose ends and gets away mm-hmm. with it because i remember thinking it was infuriating thinking he's going to get away with it i just i didn't really have any thoughts i was just sitting there going when are we going to find out she's alive we better still find out she's alive or she better mm-hmm. like emerge from from somewhere and like stab him a bunch of times or something i was just waiting i was like oh this can't be how it ends like that's right. like, literally mm-hmm. my only thought that whole point but i mean it like if you've seen like th- it reminded me of funny games in a lot of ways too yes. which i was like well, maybe they're gonna do that to us yeah but like speaking of kind of you the setup for that like it does feel so much like ferris bueller and he's like fucking dancing to christmas carols mm-hmm. and like just having mm-hmm. fun with it you know probably like just like kicking his heels like oh i'm so smart you know like twisting his mustache or what his theoretical uh, mustache because yes. he can't grow one yet because he's a whiny little turd but it looks um, like he may never be able to grow a mustache let's be honest right. not that there's no. anything wrong with that's that. true um, maybe i but... shouldn't stash shame <laughs> but but the thing that i love is when because the way ferris bueller plays out is he gets back in bed just in the nick of time and his mom peeks in and everything's good and we're happy now and mm-hmm. here the mom gets in and you just hear these screams and i imagine i try to imagine what it would be like to walk into your house and see ricky with his head exploded all over your living room that reminded me of um the moment in Hereditary where Tony oh, Collette discovers uh-huh. the little, but it was done, but within this like happy pop music soundtrack kind of moment, mm-hmm. you know, I thought it was, it was such a, I mean, this movie does that so well, this blend of these two very uh, uh, discordant tones, and, but right. even to the end, you're like laughing at the same time that you're like, oh God. And like, yeah, I right. mean, I really well, and that's what I think the movie does so well. And Mike, I think you said this earlier, like the characters in this movie view Luke as like, oh, he's just Luke. But the movie does not mm-hmm. at all. And I don't no. think the movie is shy about showing how terrible he is, which is why I think it's mm-hmm. so effective and why when I was talking about appreciating the movie, that's what I really appreciate, because I think that's what makes yeah. the commentary. Yeah. You know what? I think the mom screams because 
There's red and blue paint all over her beautiful hardwood floor. <laughs> yeah, she's just she like, look at everything that's on my corpse. floors. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they were nice floors. I, I one time walked into my friend's house and her mom was showing us brand new carpet and I tracked mud all over it. And oh, no. I still like can't not let that go. Like when I'm feeling extra shitty, that's something that my brain brings yeah, up. Yeah, we all have but those we... memories where you're just like, I can't believe that thing that I did that I time. Know. <laughs> and I just looked down and I was like, oh. We had a friend, I had a friend whose little brother used to pee on his walls in the living room. And then he blamed, and then he blamed another kid. Like oh he blamed our mutual friend, Sean. Like the little brother was like, oh, it was like, Sean, it was like Fitzy that did it. And like Fitzy was banned from the house for like two years because the parents. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's such like a Ross and Monica thing from friends. But okay. I did want to talk about the ending right before he kills Ashley, because I think she is like, we've been talking about how everyone just excuses him and she is so strong in this movie because she doesn't. And she like, even when he's pointing a gun at her, she's like, no, I'm not going to involve anybody else. And I think it's so like commendable to her character that she does not let him get away with it. She doesn't God excuse him, you know? And I was going to say, one thing I liked Mm -hmm. about her character is that she's not like an action hero. She mm-hmm. doesn't like physically like kick ass and take names, but she is still so admirable and so mm-hmm. strong. And I like that usually a lot of these movies, they'll go either the the character that's getting victimized just suddenly like literally like beats everyone up, you know, and turns out that they secretly know martial arts or something. Mm-hmm. But this movie, even to the point where she figures out to put duct tape on her neck after her mm-hmm. neck has been cut like she is just one step mentally one step ahead of him and completely sh- composed within herself um and i think like one of the little heartbreaking moments is like the ricky boyfriend says to her like you know look i know you've been avoiding me cuz you're about to move and you're you're going to have this really bright future and i'm not and i'm not but you know what? I'm proud of you, and mm-hmm. I want I want you to know. And like I thought, that was it was a really nice twist of the knife. But also, mm-hmm. it's like yeah, you sort of see what he's seeing in that moment. She's really resourceful. She's really smart, and she's really she's really has like a, a core of steel that mm-hmm. you know she will she will not be moved. And I think like because I think about that sometimes. Like you think of all these like women that have been murdered, and you will never know what they're like in their fi- in those final moments. And it's mm-hmm. like just just because you are being victimized doesn't mean you're not strong. Right. Um, and, mm-hmm. and just because someone is doing something to you doesn't mean they get to h- control your narrative. And I right. thought that this was such a really unique and interesting depiction of this character. Uh, and I just loved her. I loved it. I did too. Yeah. But because yeah. she sees this terrible tragedy, you know, that was one of the things that struck me on this rewatch was watching her reaction when Ricky dies. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that they have her in a chair where she's just staring at him like that's they've pointed her at that. And mm-hmm. the ability to kind of center herself, like you were saying, Laura, and still have her wits about her. Because the way that she ultimately, I don't know if defeats him is the word, but she takes his power away by just refusing to give him an answer and refusing yeah. to give him attention. And just like the nerve that it would take to do that and how how fearless you would have to be to just stay completely silent when he's standing with a, a knife to your neck, you know? And she and knows I, that will be the one thing that really will get his fucking goat. Like that's right. what, that's, she recognizes her own power in that moment and takes it. And it's really great. And it made me, I wanted to know what she was going to say too. It was like, well, what do yeah, you I think? Know. <laughs> I, I know. know. It's like, I don't know if there is an answer for that, you know, but she's pretty great. And yeah, she, and 
fun fact, she and um, Ed or Garrett are in The Visit the, together, mm-hmm. which... Their siblings. They in are, the yeah. Which and that's a. I think that's a really underrated movie. I like that a lot. It's terrific. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I'm gone movie. because oh, yeah. I'm trying to remember what this movie is. <laughs> the visit. It's, it's it's the kids that go visit their grandparents. Oh, they've never the, the really M Night Shyamalan movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the, that His movie. Sorry, all movie, I can yeah. think about when I think about that movie is like the diaper full of shit oh, being put oh. in the kid's face. That's the, mm-hmm. literally the only thing I can think about with that movie. <laughs> yep, yep. That's one of those things that, like, it's like the mashed potato scene in Pet Cemetery 2. It's like it almost ruins the entire movie for me. Yeah. But no, this one, I just like this one a little more. <laughs> I, I, it's all, I'm sorry. It did ruin that movie for me, and it's all <laughs> it I can it. think about, and it's all I have to say. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, sometimes that happens. And, like, mm-hmm. like I'm always talking about my me-specific shit with this movie. Ha, shit. <laughs> me-specific shit. I I did have some right. specific shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can coin that phrase, I think. <laughs> so now let's briefly share any other mental health topics we see in this movie. We're not going to go into a lot of detail. We just like to mention things when we see them because I think it helps normalize mental health issues and kind of brings awareness to kind of what we said. Like there's a lot that goes into this, you know, and it's it's a lot of times not just one thing and it's a lot more prevalent than a lot of us think it is. And I've already mentioned sexual assault. So I won't say that again. But the one thing that stood out to me and actually made me cry when I watched it yesterday was um, alcoholism. And we don't really see that here. But there's a moment where she's trying to get he's trying to get her to drink this that has a roofie. And he says, if you just drink, this all goes away. And I was just thinking like because it's in the context of sexual assault. And I was just thinking like, that's why I drank a lot of times, you know, and it was just one mm-hmm. of the, a moment that stuck out to me. I don't think the movie is making a commentary on alcoholism at all. And I don't think that's really a factor in this, but it's just something that stood out to me that I wanted to mention. Mm-hmm. So. Cause there's a, there, there's like a persuasiveness to that, you know, mm-hmm. like I could imagine yeah. just wanting to forget that every, all of that happened, right. you know, absolutely. So. And again, it's another moment for her character to show her character's resolve, but I can completely mm-hmm. see that as well. Yeah. Did you guys see anything else that we haven't mentioned? Just the narcissism that we talked on. And that would really be the other the other thing with there. So but I think. We yeah. And it. I, I imagine we are going to have a month where we talk about narcissism specifically. Cause oh, yeah. I have oh, yeah. Just so many thoughts on that. You know, we got to do American Psycho yep, at some point. Totally. So. Maybe and that'll I mean, be our fun summer month. <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. this will prove the, the strong amount of overlap between psychopathy and narcissism that we, we've been discussing. Because mm-hmm. that movie is literally called American Psycho. <laughs> it is. Mm-hmm. Well, and so speaking of that, what other movies do we see kids like Luke in? I mentioned, we've talked a lot about Ferris Bueller. And I had actually mentioned 16 Candles, too, because... Um, Anthony Michael Hall's character really reminded me, just like the entitlement mm-hmm. he feels to, um, I can't remember the girlfriend's name, but it, that's the thing that stands out to me when I watch it. And it's funny how like 30, the 30 years that separate them give you like a much different outlook. It on really is. And I think it's right? just because we're seeing these stories through like lot many more lenses, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, and I mentioned funny games too, which I don't really want to say mm-hmm. anything more about that. Cause I don't want to spoil that movie, but you know, yes. there's, mm-hmm. there's Great elements. Movie. It is mm-hmm. another, maybe not for Jen movies, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a yeah. movie I watched once and was like, I'm good, but yep. I, well, I, it's still so vivid in my memory that. <laughs> yep. Me too. 
I think I've decided that 2021 is going to be the year where I maybe challenge myself a little more with some of these movies that I keep mm-hmm. saying, this is too scary for me. I think I'm going to go for it. So, well, well, there we I'll, go. I'll let you know if I survive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that's how Jen so died. I, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Famous last Jen. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm going to say Home Alone 2 oh, is a movie that... I fucking hate that because, movie. Sorry, go ahead. Because <laughs> it has I, Donald Trump in know, it. Yeah. Yep. Well, and for other reasons, but yeah, that's the big one. <laughs> well, because Home Alone, you can kind of see why he does what he does. Like, he's eight years old. He's been left on his own for the first time. It's a really scary thing. Like, he's scared of the cops because he stole the toothbrush, mm-hmm. and the cops chase him through a park for that reason. Um, by the way, like good on Kevin's parents for teaching him the valuable lesson. Like, Hey, when you're a little kid, if something goes wrong, find a helper. Like they apparently never do right. that. <laughs> and you can kind of see, and also there's no one in the neighborhood that can help him out at that mm-hmm. point. So you kind of see why he does what he does, but you're kind of like, you picture Kevin's parents coming home. And then once they find out that he's safe and then hearing what he did, You'd be very disturbed as a parent. You'd be like, my kid is not, Well, I am terrified of right. him. But then you get to Home Alone 2. And in Home Alone 2, there are, number one, he's in New York fucking mm-hmm. city. Like, easy, he can easily hide away from these people and alert a cop and problem mm-hmm. solved. Kevin seeks the danger out. And Kevin just likes to hurt people. He, it's like he just gets this sense of manic glee when he's throwing bricks, raining destruction down on these people. To be it fair, to, I want to play devil's advocate that these two criminals are, are, seem to be immortal. They seem to be playing That's by Michael true. Myers' rules. True. And maybe he's That's just true. like taking it upon himself to slay these two vampires mm-hmm. that he's apparently fighting because nothing he does to them kills them, even though they should be dead. They should be right. dead. This but movie just, proves it. <laughs> I remember yeah. like, and we watched uh, Home Alone as our first Christmas movie of the season the other night. And my daughter just cackling with joy throughout this whole movie. And it's a little bit scary. And she was like, at one point, she's like, I'm only watching it to get to the good bits at the end. And it's a little scary. Oh, my gosh. Where... Maybe all kids are a little bit psychopathic. I mean, mm. they all lack a little bit of empathy, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. Where my daughter um, diverges, where she can no longer suspend disbelief is that like Kevin is able to tie these perfect knots and then <laughs> scoot. I'm like, wait a minute. You're telling me right now that after everything you've seen, like these people take massive falls, getting hit with bats, getting paint cans in the face. We're like, no movie. I'm falling off right now. Is mm-hmm. that the kid can tie a really good knot? That's where you're. <laughs> now you, know. you lost me. <laughs> so Home Alone Two is one, and then there is a movie that came out in 2012 called The Aggression Scale, and I don't know if anyone has ever seen that. Mm-mm. That is like literally Home Alone if the kid was a psychopath. Really? Um, it is that conceit done. Uh, it's this kid, like, dad brings him home from a hospitalization where he was hospitalized with these really violent acts. And then the kid is home, I think, with his, like, sibling. And some bandits realize, I come find out there's, like, a half a million dollars stashed in the home. So it's this kid who is, like, very high on the aggression scale, fucking these people up for, like, 85 minutes. It's really good. It's really underseen. It's by 
uh, Stephen C. Miller, who did the Silent Night, Deadly Night remake, which is actually pretty good. Really? Um, and he did another movie. I think it's called Under the Bed, which is like another pretty decent little horror thriller as well. That's so, where I'm scared the monsters are. So. Yeah, I would definitely seek out that movie, The Aggression Scale. Uh, I want to see a mix of like Home Alone and Halloween. Like, give mm. me a really little cute kid against like a slasher like Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. And I, I may have you... the film suggestion for you. What is it? Mm. Others have my... said, others have said, like, I got it. What, what is it? Wait, what? Oh, you're, you're, that's you the end said... of your sentence. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, I had my brain broke for a second and like yeah. all of reality fragmented around me. Mm-hmm. So the, the movie, I've never actually seen it and it's on my, I might be watching it sometime in the next week or two with some friends online. And that is, it's a French movie that they, claim home alone ripped off which because it was originally i think released in 89 90 mm-hmm. three six one five code pair noel which is in the english language version is dial code santa claus um where basically a little boy is at home and he gets home invaded by a guy in a santa suit and mm-hmm. hijinks and apparently it's even more over the top and violent than home alone but yeah. i think it is the the sort of uh you know imprint for what became home alone and movies like this yeah um, but i'm really fascinated it was it was restored in 2018 by alamo draft house you know so it was one of those like genre films that got um it wasn't it wasn't restored by it was released at it at alamo draft house and was restored by some genre film restoration folks mm-hmm. um so it's one of those that's been on my list forever and it's in a it's in a book I have that I thought maybe I had directly behind me. That was, I think it's just called Christmas Horror. And that's where mm. I first read about it. And it's a collection of essays about Christmas horror movies. Um, and I, 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 I will, we can, I'll link the information. We can link the information to that book as well in the show notes. But um, I'm really obsessed. I'll seek with, this out. Yes, oh, I'm yeah. really obsessed with watching out. it. I'm like, it's been on my list for so long and I hope it doesn't disappoint, but I'm really fascinated by it. And it's 3615 <laughs> code Pierre Noel. Pierre Noel, P E R E Noel which is i think french for like father christmas or some shit yeah um so i'm i'm and it's dial code santa claus is the the english language title mm-hmm. um yeah and as far as other movies i was also going to say good night mommy which we brought up already yeah. and, I, and i still what i said for kevin is still true and even more true for this one also starring macaulay culkin as a psycho <laughs> the, 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 the good son he plays a good psycho you he, know? Does. he does he's good got that little psycho. face yes mm-hmm. <laughs> And I love the the movies that made us episode in Home Alone mm-hmm. and all the things that had to come together to make that movie. Like it's, I didn't like it as a kid, but I love it as an adult. I don't Same. know what it is. I didn't like it as a kid either, and I think part of it was because it was too slapstick for me. I was like, I oh, loved I it as a kid. Did um, you? Yeah, you know, my I son loves it. Everyone told me when I was that age and when it came out that I looked like Macaulay Culkin. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was like the little girl version of Macaulay Culkin. And, uh-huh. and I, for some reason, was like, yes, I love that <laughs> because he's famous and I love this movie. And so it made mm-hmm. me like extra into the Home Alone movies. Mm-hmm. And stuff. <laughs> we watched it so many times last year and the whole series. Like he just wants to watch Home Alone 1, 2, and 3. And this year he's way more into Elf, which... I'm slowly getting on board with. I so. love that movie. <laughs> I like we were, it more. We, we were watching it last night. That's a that's one of those every season have to watch that movie. Like it's classic. I just yeah, I adore it. It's become that for us. But I, I found I'm just a big old Grinch sometimes. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I want to watch Die Hard. You... I want to watch Terminator Two. <laughs> 
you and Die Hard is is phenomenal. I actually got is. my wife like a custom made Die Hard ornament. Like mm-hmm. it's a great movie. Like no argument here. Hans Gruber well, is one of my I mean, I'll, I'm, Alan uh, Rickman is. Alan Rickman is my number one crush, like forever yeah. and ever, like you know, always like, beyond, always exactly beyond <laughs> the beyond the grave. I will marry him; he is mm. mine. So obviously, Die Hard rules. Yeah. Anyways, so now it's time for our uplifting moment. <clears throat> La- <laughs> that's that's all I can muster tonight. <laughs> So our uplifting Mm -hmm. moment is when we share any grounding or self-care that's been particularly effective for us recently. And I usually give a big long spiel about it, but I'm tired and like, (laughs) your self-care for today is not talking about self-care. That's true. (laughs) You know? Yeah, man. The the, I have had the Christmas blues this week. I think, I don't know why it's just getting to me. And so I've had a, it's been kind of a rough week for, I don't know. I haven't fully dived into why yet but um my one of my big self-care tricks is a fuzzy blanket and lots of times when I'm starting to when I can feel a panic attack coming on sometimes I just get under a fuzzy blanket and I put some kind of movie on or something and so I asked for a snuggie nope sorry I asked for a slanket for Christmas, which a slanket, snuggy and a slanket are kind of the same thing, right? They like, are. There's just the slanket is the brand that I prefer. So mm-hmm. I asked mm-hmm. for a slanket, and I was very particular about that. And yeah, I was like, I just want this thing because sometimes I'll read in bed too, and my arms get cold, and I can't have that. And so Corey, like, we just had a rough weekend and a rough day, and. Uh, he gave me my Christmas present early today and it was a navy blue slanket and Aww. it's right here and it just <laughs> made me really happy. And so that's that's one of my tricks is it's something about the texture, I think. It's really comforting. It. Yeah. So that's my self care is just hiding under my slanket. I know. Slanket life. Of, that's like I always think of the thirty rack. You know thirty rack is not okay anymore either, but like I always mm. think of Liz Lemon and the Slanket eating cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, working on her and, night cheese. Yeah, she's work, working on the night cheese. So yes, uh, I have not been doing I mean, like I think that we in the in the realm of recording these episodes, we recently recorded a comfort horror episode where I gave you all my good stuff. And <laughs> so mm-hmm. as of today, I don't really have much, but I do, yeah, I think I do a similar a similar thing where when I get really overwhelmed, I just go I like to like curl up in a bunch of blankets and put put on something comforting and I think that mm-hmm. happened, you know, I I you know, as you know, like my day job, I write a lot about COVID and stuff mm-hmm. like this for you know, healthcare related stuff and um I was on I did we did a thing and I, we were talking to a doctor who just shared some details about working with COVID patients and watching them die and this kind of thing and it, I got really overwhelmed and after the call I just went and laid on the couch for a little while wrapped in blankets watching the Simpsons and Mm. I I did find that helpful (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know it's just there's some days where I'm just like I cannot handle it and then then these are also the little reminders of like I've always sort of thought in the back of my head like oh I should have been a doctor and then I'm like honey you could not have handled it (laughs) (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. I thought about being a doctor too and I'm like no I would have died the first time I had to like give stitches you know right yeah I could give stitches but watch any anything with puke and shit that's where I draw the line. <laughs> I, I can take all sorts of blood. Mm. Why are we, Why am I still talking? I'll stop. <laughs> oh, because you're on. <laughs> Mike, do you have anything you want to share this week? Nothing with puke and shit. Uh, um, very good. Sadly. <laughs> it's always is, tomorrow. No. <laughs> right. 
it's funny because like I was talking with my wife earlier, which is unusual. We usually never speak. We just communicate in a series of blanks mm-hmm. and um, gesticulations. But we were talking like up until last year, I don't think I'd had an opportunity to um, Sorry, it just really made me, like, enjoy. Go crazy blinking. Sorry, go ahead. So um, <laughs> up until last year, I'm going to just start blinking for the show. Like that's how it would be fascinating to listen to. It will. To. Just silence. Um, <laughs> I, I really hadn't had an opportunity to really enjoy the holiday season for a really long time because like for a number of years I worked on the road a lot. So I'd be out of the house like and it was a really busy season. So out of like during the holidays, I'd be maybe like gone or working really late nights, like almost every night. And then on weekends be exhausted. And then during like that I worked for human services and I'm like, there's no money there. I need as much overtime as possible. And, you know, to keep the roof over the head. And then grad school was, like, insane Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, all the stuff I was doing. So, like, last year was the first year that I really got to really... And I'm like, oh, this is actually quite pleasant. Like, I will put on some Christmas music now and again and just enjoy some of it while we bake something and watch a Christmas movie and decorate the home. And it's kind of lovely. So, like, right now we're just, like, you know, we got like my daughter and I went and we picked out the Christmas tree the other night and brought it home. And it was like we got it from this place. We're like, oh, you get a coupon for a free pizza and we're ordering pizza tonight. And then we realized they just jacked up the price 13 bucks more than we <laughs> used to pay for the tree. Mm-hmm. But so it was like just sunken costs at that point. <laughs> but that's all right. You know, just ignore the details. Enjoy the pizza. <laughs> all right. Exactly. We're going to order it anyway. So whatever. Um, and then like decorating it last night and just like. You know, watching and it's just like it's especially because this year we know that we're not going to be like running around. We were supposed to go to England with, to visit my wife's family and Christmas in England, especially in Cornwall, where it's quiet and right on the beach. It's fucking lovely. And we're not going to be able to do that this year. COVID. But knowing that we're not going to travel, but knowing we're not going anywhere else, it's like it's like for the first it's just pleasant mm-hmm. in some ways to be in the home. And kind of get to enjoy it a little bit and do it up a little bit and make it nice. And like, kind of like, we I've talked about like gratitude journaling a lot and without going into like writing a journal, just kind of looking and being like, you know, we have like less than some, but more than others. And it's kind of nice to have what we have right mm-hmm. now and really appreciate that. So I'm just trying to like be grateful for that, I think. And get through the next 13 <laughs> school days before we have two weeks so off. So close. Oh, I can't wait. I did request my holiday time so, off the other day, and that felt really yeah. nice. I was like, now I really can't work on those days, though. Um, mm-hmm. So we want to know what you think. Do you like Better Watch Out? Uh, what do you think about this topic of killer kids? Do you know any killer kids? I'm sure you don't answer that. <laughs> if you do, don't don't share it. Yeah, and stay us. away from them. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, don't tell them where we live. Um, what is your grounding and self care? How are you doing the hol- with the holidays? And you can share answers to all these questions or anything else you want to tell us by following us at Psycho A Pod on all of the socials. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group. It's a private and moderated group where we have questions of the day, discussion threads, anything else that's on our mind or anyone else's. Check it out because it's really a wonderful community. 
And you can also join the Psychoanalysis A Horror Therapy Family, which is a listener-created group with a lot of the same wonderful people. Both of those groups are private and moderated, so we try to make them kind of a safe place to talk about some hard stuff and some fun stuff, too. Um, so our homework question for this week, what gift are you most looking forward to under the tree this year? And I already said my slanket. So I'm living high on my early Christmas gift. Um, so, yeah, that is our question. And look out for prompts on that. I usually post those the day the episodes drop. So we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. Nope, I forgot to talk about what's, what we're watching, what next, we're watching yeah. next. Yep, yep. We are a member of the we fuck are. network. We're a member I mean, of the fuck network. That would be the- <laughs> That's the network sponsored by 2020, right? <laughs> Um, Sponsored by Adam and Eve. Oh, uh, depends on which kind of. Okay, let's just. That's move true. On. <laughs> so, what are we watching next? This is the last episode in our series on killer kids, and I have thought this was a really fun topic to cover. A really fascinating mm-hmm. discussion. But next, we have a holiday comfort episode in store for you. We are going to be joined by Dan Caffrey from Halloweenies, The Losers Club, and Slay SMR to watch Gremlins. Yay! Yay. I'm excited to talk about this. So that's going to drop on Christmas Eve. And if you're very, very good, we might just have another episode in store for you on Christmas Day. Let's just say a Christmas story might not be the only Bob Clark holiday film that we'll be discussing on Christmas Day. Wink, Whoa. wink, wink, wink. Watch wink. Black Christmas. We're just what we're watching. Black Christmas. <laughs> we are the original. It's not Baby Geniuses. Oh. I've watched the wrong <laughs> Oh, what if fuck. you showed up to talk about baby geniuses and we're like, Mike, we're talking That'd about Black great. Christmas. We could have done that one for killer kids, but. So maybe that's what right. you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us in lots of other amazing pods like the aforementioned Halloweenies, the Losers Club, and going there with Dr. Mike by going to consequenceofsound.com. There's also lots of great music and pop culture writing, including lots of best of the year lists. So make sure to check those out. Um, Mike, where can we find you? So you can find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian, as well as the other social. I run the socials for our other show, um, The Pod and the Pendulum, a podcast that covers basically all horror movie franchises. And Myself and my uh, lovely co-host, Lindsay Travis, we are, by the time you're reading this, we're just gearing up to do the Final Destination series. Yay! Really excited to bring you folks um, that as well, and we're gearing up for some really big things. We're uh, already planning ahead what we're going to be doing in 2021, and I think it's going to be a really fun year. That's so exciting. We have a Facebook group, which basically a lot of, uh, a number of psychoanalysis listeners and facebook members have gone over to the pod and the pendulum facebook group and made me realize how much i neglect (laughs) it so now i'm trying to like post prompts Mm. every day um and it's been really nice uh to kind of like interact like they're just a real pleasant Mm. bunch of folks they really are those facebook groups i hate facebook but i love the facebook group you know laura where can we find you hello I'm Shelly Duvall. Uh, no, um, I'm 
I'm Lara. You can find me on Twitter at <laughs> underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S. <laughs> like, like the big old diaper you wear under your big boy pants because you're secretly not a big boy at all. You're just a little fucking baby who wants to cry and have his way. And you like that little baby? You like mm-hmm. that little baby? Or buy diapers full of poop poop? I'll change it. <laughs> Yeah, Luke. Luke. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I Please forget that I said any of that, but you can still <laughs> find me on Twitter at Underalls and on Instagram at Instaglum. Instaglum. That's <laughs> where I hum <laughs> about the stuff that my life's about. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's the end of a. <laughs> I don't want to talk anymore. I want to lay down. We get very slappy once we cross the two-hour mark. (laughs) Somebody take care of me. I want to lay down. (laughs) You want to borrow my slanket? Yes. (laughs) I'll virtually send it to you. Thank you. Um, You can find me at Jen Ferratu on all of the socials with two N's. You can also find me on the Losers Club um, talking about Green Mile and talking about, well, no, I'm done talking about the Green Mile forever. Um, talking about the stand, <laughs> which I'm so excited about. And yeah, and that's all I'm going to say about that, too, because, yeah, I my brain broke also. So <laughs> right. Fair enough. Uh, so, yeah, that's where you can find us for all of this stuff and for fun times and Merry Christmas, whatever. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Wow. What a heartfelt, joyous. Fun times, Merry Christmas, whatever. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's our new merch. Um, so, yeah, I think, I feel like we're all dying of Christmas joy right now, right? So that, that's what, that's what this is. Exactly. Yes, that is what it is. Not that we're weird. So that's our episode on Better Watch Out. I better have watched out for being weird the last 30 seconds, but I didn't. So (laughs) sorry to everyone. But thank you so much for joining us for this. I think it was really fascinating talking about these kids. And I was nervous to do both of these movies. And we made it. And I'm really proud of us. for. We're here and we're stronger on the other side, baby. We are, yeah. Yeah. So we came to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves and we're all we're all bubblegum bubblegum but there can be candy canes Consequence Podcast Network.